Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Good morning. Good morning. I love your Christmas sweater. Oh, thanks. I would like to point out that it is, in fact, a cardigan. Yes, it is a cardigan. So, no yes. making fun of me anymore. <laughs> uh, it's like a button-up sweater. I it feel like is. it's like a step above cardigan. It's red. It has little reindeer on it. It's and very snowflakes. It's very cute. You had it's, a... it's soft. I don't. I usually don't wear sweaters because I find them to be itchy. No. Welcome to the wonderful world of cardigans. Oh lord. Jeez. Thank you. you. I'm here for the month of December, and then I'm out again, you, and then me, I'm back to Mr. making Rogers. fun of you. <laughs> Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> Oh, yeah. All right. So today's I, I'm excited about today where we have a really interesting guest. But I want to kind of step back because you and I in our line of work will come across patients who take a different path from mm-hmm. the quote unquote norm. Correct. And not that long ago, we had breakfast with a guy who had stage four kidney cancer. Mm-hmm. He wasn't given much hope in terms of his longevity. He didn't want to do chemo. Like Mm-mm. he told us, I didn't want to do it. My family was appalled mm-hmm. and started pressuring him mm-hmm. to, yeah, you have to do this. You have to do this. Yeah. Like, this is your only chance. And we've actually spoken to somebody else recently that said that she had a lot of regret because she pressured her mom to do chemo. Mm-hmm. And so we see this a lot in family dynamics where maybe yeah. the patient doesn't want to do it and the family members are really pressuring them to keep going. Yep. What was interesting about him is that he did try chemo for his family. He he gave it a year. He gave it a year. He <laughs> College felt, try. He felt terrible. Yep. It was really impacting his quality of life. And so he walked away. He's like, I'm done. I'm not doing this yeah. anymore. He started taking a lot of supplements and put himself on a dewormer, which mm-hmm. we hear quite often as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so when you and I had met with him, I mean, he had not, I think he was a couple years. Was it a couple yeah. years since yeah. he had started that protocol? Yeah, I think he was, I think if I remember right, he was two years after his, what they said that he would reach when yeah. he was originally diagnosed. They gave him an, a date. Three, they gave him three years. They yeah. gave him three years and he was five out. Yep. But yeah. And I can't remember how long he was on his own protocol of supplements and dewormer, but he was very happy with his decision. Yeah. And he was kind of talking about that. And it was just a really interesting conversation. So what do you think about people who do this? I think the whole dynamic between what the patient wants and what the family wants and just all that is so fascinating. I think it is really interesting because there's so many dynamics that you're trying to deal with, like even as the patient, as the family. And then also, even just as the patient, to be able to feel empowered enough to go make a choice that's maybe against your family, but also that is against kind of what society tells you is like, everyone else is doing this, Mm -hmm. but then you're going to go against it. But I think in his specific case, it was really cool to see that he reached that wall and he, I remember him saying like, I would have rather died than stay on chemo any longer and feel that way. So I think he hit his wall and then was like, I got to try something different. So right. Yeah. 100%. Very interesting. We we talk about that a lot. Like... I've said it a million times that having cancer is like having kids. Like, you know when you're done. Yeah. Like, you know when you've had enough. (laughs) Yeah. You're just like, I'm out. Yeah. So today we're going to talk to a guest named Alan. He's another cancer patient who stepped away from conventional treatment after he was diagnosed with stage four 
I'm going to get this wrong. Is it squamous? Squamous. Squamous cell skin cancer. So first we're going to talk about why Alan was skeptical of the treatment offered to him. And then what he decided to do instead and why it's controversial. Yeah. And where he is in the journey today and his hope for the future. Yep. But before we do that, let's hear from our first sponsor. Ann's Bra Shop features skilled mastectomy fitters ready to assist you in selecting the perfect breast forms, bras, swimsuits, and camisoles for your post-surgery needs. Discover their multiple locations on Facebook or contact them toll-free at 1-800-240-8745 to locate a store near you. Welcome, Alan. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited for you to share your story. Thank you. I'm excited to tell anybody that wants to listen that there's alternatives to the American Medical Society. All right. Well, let's jump in. Can you kind of share with everybody your diagnosis? When were you diagnosed? What were you told? May 8th, I had a, a spot on my cheek that was ended up, now I know, skin cancer. And so it kind of went away, but there was a little lump, like a pimple you pop, but it was under your skin, you know, and it wouldn't go away, a little bubble-like thing. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, you know, that's kind of tender. So then my eye wasn't closing and my Bell's palsy a long time ago. So I thought with me being diabetic, I went to all the eye doctors and they looked at me, different eye doctors. And, and they're like, yeah, you, you know, your, your face muscles may have weakened because of your Bell's palsy and your diabetes, which is, you know, typical. And we may have to go in and do plastic surgery and pull your cheek up to where your eye will close because it's kind of sagged down and I said okay I said but feel this right here I said it's it's always kind of sore so he felt it and it was kind of like a nodule he called it and so he, he goes let's get a look at that so I did a scan he gets back to me and he says yeah you need to go see an oncologist and I'm like huh well, backstory, my wife passed away four years ago from stage four breast cancer. My my father passed away from brain cancer, and my grand or my aunt passed away from uterine cancer. So I know the oncologist word. I know, unfortunately, and so do we on here, know way too much about that wicked thing. So I go to an unnamed doctor and an unnamed hospital, I was told to say for you all. And I, under- <laughs> I understand why, and I completely respect it. And so I went down there and I walked in and he had my scan and, and I said, I got cancer, don't I? He goes, yeah, I'm sorry. And uh, he goes, you have a tumor in your sinus and it's squamish. Or he goes, we got to do a biopsy. And I'm like, okay. At the time, I said, okay, but I sure wish to have, I hadn't. He goes, yeah, he goes, you get a tumor here, look, and it's about the size of a marble in your sinus cavity. And he goes, we got to see if it's just a mass or if it's cancer. So then they did the biopsy, came back, and I said, I got it, don't I? And he goes, yeah, he goes, you got squamous cell, skin cancer. And he goes, and squamous cells aggressive and we're going to have to get, get it out of there. And I go, okay, well, we'll talk to me. He goes, well, you're going to, we're going to have to get in there and we're going to have to cut you from your nose over to your cheek, take your skin, take your face off underneath and take the artery out of, cause we're going to, you're going to lose the artery and you could lose your eye and some teeth. 
and we're going to use your artery in your leg and your thigh scan and put it on your face. And I said, okay, is that going to do it? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, you'll have about a 40% chance of living five years. So you'll be in the hospital 14 days, probably 10 days intensive care. You know, and I go, whoa, what's the, what's your numbers? What's your prognosis for this? I mean, you say 40% chance. I mean, what do you have people that make it? And yeah, a few. He goes, but I got more people dead than alive with what you have. I said, hmm, okay, well, I'll see you later. Wow, that's, I, that's I, tough to hear. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting way to break that news to a patient. But I, I'm curious because your wife died of breast cancer, yeah. and so to your to your point, you've been through this with family members yeah, before. Unfortunately, you've yeah. seen what yeah you've seen what that looks like. I was her hospice. You were the one that cared for her at yep. the end. Yeah, oh yeah. So you've kind of you've seen that from start to finish yep. what that looks like. Yes, ma'am. Um, and did that was that playing in your head as you hear this news from this doctor and this radical surgery that they want to perform? Yeah, I'm just like, well, I, I to be honest, I wasn't going to do it. There was no way. Sure. And I I want to kind of dive into what like the, the moment you decided you were going to go an alternate route. But yep. before we do that. Let's do Boobs in the News. Yep, let's do it. Boobs in the News is a fun segment where we read funny tweets by real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the News. Boobs in the News. Boobs in the News. All right, here's our Boobs in the News. Are you ready for this? Yes. All right, so this story starts with, this just happened. So this happened in December. Members of an international space station crew said astronaut Frank Rubio has now been cleared of allegations that he ate one of the first tomatoes harvested in space. I read this this morning. You did? I did. That's and so then funny. They, yeah, and then they, well, they, they... Okay, you carry on. Well, no, I I, I think it's <laughs> then hilarious. Then they were like, did you eat it? And he's like, no, I didn't eat it. And then I, did it get lost in the, in this, in the, whatever the thing is called, the space station? Well, yeah. So the, the, one of the NASA astronauts, Jasmine Mobelli, okay... She basically said that they found the remains of the tiny tomato eight months after being misplaced by Rubio. Okay, so she says so she says, quote, our good friend Frank Rubio, who headed home already, has been blamed for quite a while for eating the tomato, but we can (laughs) exonerate him. We found the tomato. It says Rubio, who returned to Earth in September, had been the target of joking accusations for months that he had eaten the space-grown fruit. Okay, so okay, it's a I'm joke. glad it was a joke. Oh my god, I, I was getting yeah. pissed. I'm like, yeah. what? Because I, if I remember right, he had been up there for like a long, long time. <laughs> so I remember seeing the news news article food. when he came back down because he didn't, he couldn't walk because he had been up there so oh, long that he had muscle atrophy. Uh, atrophy, and so they were carrying him off the beach where he came oh. into the ocean. And so when I read that this morning, I'm like, seriously? I mean, yes, it was awesome that he grew the first tomato in space. But then then for him, and then can you imagine him being like, yeah, I freaking wanted to eat the tomato because I hadn't had a real piece of fruit or real piece of vegetable in 11 months. And but- I want to know why they couldn't find it for eight months. It's a spaceship. You think well, there's a I ton mean, of places for the tomato to go? It could have. What if it just like... You know how tomatoes just kind of fall. What if it detached and was like fl- it floated it wherever <laughs> That's it floated? That's my point, though. Yeah. Wouldn't you see a floating tomato? So, but Ru- it's a tiny tomato. Rubio said, "I spent so many hours looking for that thing." <laughs> he said, "I'm sure the tomato will show up at some point and vindicate me years in the future." Well, see, here's what here's my question: 
did it does it rot in space? Yes. So they said oh, okay. the astronauts did not reveal where the tomato was found or what its condition was. But Rubio had earlier predicted that it would be at a state of advanced decay due to the humidity. Huh. Oh, so, humidity. Interesting. Mm, can you imagine? No. That poor guy. I know. He, he probably you got go back space, and was like, look, I'm actually eating a real tomato. You go to space. <laughs> you do this amazing thing. You cultivate the first tomato in space. And then all anybody can talk about is how you ate it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to say the boobs are the people that accused him. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it was a joke because I was thinking sad thoughts this I morning. mean, he's probably like, where is that freaking tomato? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's your boobs. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. So we're back. Okay, so you're you're standing here with a very difficult decision, right? Basically, remove your face, some of your teeth, use your thigh muscle to try to recreate a face, or, and, and even then, you're at 40% chance of living five years. It wasn't a difficult choice. I wasn't doing it. Well, yeah. and I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of people would feel like they didn't have another choice. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would say, if this is what I'm being told, has to happen, then that's what has to happen. And in fact, I think you told me offline, right, that once you said you weren't willing to do this surgery, your doctor became real insistent, right? He was chasing me like a lawyer seeing an accident. So so you said you weren't interested and he was calling you trying to get you to do this surgery. Yeah. And, and so he's like, it's got to come out of there. It's got to come out of there, you know, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. And he goes, I go, you're telling me that I'm going to have to go through all of this and I'm diabetic. So the chances of infection are high and I'm not going through the pain. It's, it's not going to cure it. It's not going to be what you wanted, right? What, what, what was your ultimate goal? Was your ultimate goal at this point? Because were you diagnosed stage four from the onset? Stage three and it went to four after the biopsy, because after the biopsy, it exploded when the oxygen hit it. Okay, so that's interesting to to talk on because a lot of patients, there are patients out there, and Sarah and I talk to them frequently, who feel that biopsies are potentially dangerous to patients who Mm -hmm. feel like it helps spread their cancer. And so we've had patients who have declined biopsies because they don't want to spread the cancer. Now, the medical system debunks this. They Mm -hmm. say that it's it's kind of not in sound science and it's not accurate. But you were told that you had stage three, borderline stage four. You had the biopsy. Then they said you had stage four cancer. They told you that it was basically very close to invading your brain. Did I get that right? My doctor in Cabo, Dr. Jason Williams, who is doing my immunotherapy this Thursday on a follow-up, when they biopsied, my tumor was 4.6 centimeters. When I got to Cabo two months later, it went from 4.6 to 6.7. So you decided that you're not going to do standard treatment. Your doctor, you're kind of ghosting him, and you started doing research. Is this how you landed on this doctor in Cabo? Well, first off, let me back up. I I prayed for for healing, obviously, and I prayed for knowledge. And so Jen, my buddy's sister, she heard about it, and she's come over and starts telling me I need to get on this supplement, this supplement, this supplement. And, and so I started researching them, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> they were, they do. So, you know, and the doctor's not going to tell you about a natural supplement because that's not what they're told to do. And, and the drug companies, they got them in the pocket. I do think it's interesting that I read once that only 7% of research money goes towards studying metastatic disease. Yeah. So, 
you know, the outcomes for stage four cancer remain relatively unchanged in the last 50 years. And I think it's interesting that when patients opt to do something different, they're often met with skepticism or judgment from the medical community or from family members. Yep. I do think that, you know, they would argue there's no clinical studies on these supplements. Mm-hmm. It's giving false hope to patients. There's nothing proven to stop cancer once it's so catastrophic, which any late stage cancer is is they would argue, requires severe intervention to save your life. But for you, you didn't feel like you had a lot to lose, right? Absolutely. Your your quality of life was really important to you. Right. You didn't want to lose half your face and and only have a 40% chance. So for you, it felt like, why not try the holistic route to some degree? So you started on these supplements, then you started researching and you found this clinic in Mexico. He's an American doctor, Jason Williamson. He was tired of of people dying and he lost his grandma and he's like this, there's got to be a better way yeah so there's there's a lot of controversy about mexico clinics right and the american cancer society has like strongly urged individuals with cancer not to seek treatment with metabolic therapies in particular in mexico clinics they they say that they're hyped up treatments for desperate people and they they kind of say that they're forms of immunotherapy but they're sold at a very high price and they don't have like the protections of clinical trials like they do in the u.s what do you what are your thoughts on that they're lying and they don't there's no money in the curing there's no money there's no money in the cure i can't say that enough i'll say it to the day i die and it's true. And the reason there's no clinical trials on anything is because they don't want clinical trials. They'll tell you that about Mexico. I got 80% of my tumor in my head dead already. That's where I want to go next is because you went to Mexico. Yeah. You went to go the see Dr. Williams. The hospital in Cabo that I went to was cleaner than our hospitals. You could eat off the floor. And the, it was painless. And, it, and the immunotherapy was painless. The only side effects I had was sleeping and some swelling in the local area because it was a low dose right into my tumor on my face. 80% so of I want to get dead. into I want to get into that. You come down to Mexico, you go to the hospital, Dr. Williams comes in and he is it immunotherapy that you received? Is that what he was doing? Yep. He, put, he hit me with the, what he called his chemo cocktail. It's a low dose Cart blockers. I, I mean, I, I could get the complete list on there, but it's all with proven cancer fighters, except for the United States. I will say this. I, I think it's so interesting that we know that the immune system is needed to fight cancer. And yet when we get chemo, they it kill They kill your immune system. Mm-hmm. So you had this shot, okay, and you had this immunotherapy. And when he injected you, what was that like? Was it like, I mean, we've all been through chemo, so we know what chemo is like. But... I was knocked out. I didn't feel a thing. Okay, so you were knocked out. You wake up. Yep. You've had this injection on your face. Yep. What happens? I'm in the hospital, and he comes in. I wake up in my hospital bed, and my my hotel was connected to the hospital. The Hampton Inn was connected to the H Hospital in Cabo. So basically, after I ate and drank, and everybody knows how you do when you come out of anesthesia, once you're okay, you're okay. And he came in and told me the first time. First, let me back up and say, that he was the one that told me and my medical doctor, not my oncologist, when I got back and went to see him, they both told me and Dr. Williams and Cabo told me there is no way in the world that he should have considered operating on you, the oncologist, because it was 10 days away from getting into your brain. If he was so determined to operate, he should have radiated it and shrunk it and then uh, and then went in. And he goes, and I can tell you right now, it wouldn't have done any good. And it would have just came back and you would have been through all that pain. And my doctor, when I got back here, 
my medical doctor that I've had for 30 years said the same exact thing that he couldn't understand why that guy was wanting to operate with it where it was. So so you have the injection, you wake up, you feel fine, you go back to the hotel and then you come back to the United States. And then is the plan to see a follow up scan to see no. what your tumor looks like? What happened was I got my first one. And he, when I woke up, he said, Alan, Dr. Williams, because I got it good. I was able to access it. And I I I I was able to get all the way around the, the tumor itself because it was, you know, like a circumference. And I got into it and he goes, I'll see you next week for the second shot because I was there for three weeks for three injections. Oh, OK. Got it. So got it. I go back to following week and I got a Roma tomato under my eye. And he goes, oh, okay. man, he goes, that cancer is angry. He goes, it's doing its job. And he goes, your immune system's on high. And he goes, I don't even need to ablate you any anymore. And he goes, I'll see you in two weeks. So I went back and he did a CT and said that the tumor had shrunk. And he gave me my second shot. And then I went back for the third shot. It shrunk more. And then he sent me home. And, and I told him, I said, you know, I said, do you think it'll come back? And he said, no, I don't. He goes, but if it does... Just come back and I'll give you a little booster. And I'm like, well, Doc, I said, I don't know how much money, more money I got, you know? And he's like, well, don't worry about it. So I got back here. So you went home. Yep. Yeah, you went home and you were supposed to just rem- like wait until your next scan? Yeah, or- I got scanned. Or- I got scanned and I did an MRI. And then I, and about two weeks later after he got the MRI, he calls me, said, or he, he his assistant, did, I'm sorry, and said, Doc wants a PET scan. And I'm like, uh oh, mm. something's happening. Cause it was down tremendously. It was down like 50, 60% when I left Cabo. The tumor had died. The tumor had. Yeah. And so he told me, he said, if it if it's not shrinking and it starts going up, I want to see you. Cause I with squamous so we can't let it get away. So I knew right then that something had happened. So I I got a PET scan, which Ironically, you, they inject sugar water into your system instead of radioactive for MRI. They sh- shoot sugar water into your system, and it goes and attaches to the cancer cells and the highlights it like a flashing red light, saying, "Here I am, here I am." It's funny you, sh- you shoot yourself with they shoot you up with sugar to go find a can- tumor cell. So, and that's what shows up under the PET scan is it's the sugar attaching to wherever cancer is in your body. He got a hold of me, uh, Dr. Williams, and said, yeah, he goes, about 80% of the tumor is dead. And he goes, you got one spot on the right that's trying to get out. And he goes, just come on down. Well, and you took your PET scan, if I remember correctly, you took your PET scan that he had done while you were in the United States, and you took it to your primary care doctor, correct? And what did he say? My primary care doctor, when I came back and my primary care doctor saw me after I got back from, he saw me before I left. And he saw me when I came back and I, it didn't, it, it, when I got, I got back in August and this thing didn't start moving around until probably the end of October. It started d- moving the first of November, about a month ago. So in the meantime, I had seen my doctor right when I came back, like in September and he was just amazed. 
and my my doctor was a hundred percent behind it, my medical doctor, and told me basically his hands are tied with the medical community and immunotherapy's the new the way to go and it's the new thing. Well, and, okay, so 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 your latest scan shows that eighty percent of your tumor is dead yep. and you still have a little branch that requires more treatment. Yep. So you're actually going to Mexico tomorrow, yes, correct? I'm going to Mexico City tomorrow and getting the treatment. Now he's he's got you on a lot of supplements too, right? Oh, How many supplements no, are you yeah, taking yeah, a day? Yes, yes, he does. And I think what you sent me, I mean, you're sending, you're taking at least like what twelve a day? Yeah, yeah, and they're all D three and selenium and taurine and and these are things that he's saying you'll have to be on for the rest of your life, yeah, correct? Yes, enzymes. He he's really he's really an advocate of it. Our health starts and ends in the gut, and he okay. he's got me on a probiotic and and an enzyme. And with all the all that we eat today in our modern diet, he wants to get it in and get it out. And don't let those preservatives and all this stuff that we eat stay in our body long enough to set up. Hmm, interesting. Well, I want to kind of wrap up with your, you know, your your final thoughts sure. and what you want people to know. But before we do that, let's listen to our second sponsor. Thriven is a proud sponsor of Faith Through Fire. Thriven believes money is a tool and not a goal. The Gateway Financial Group with Thrivent is local to the St. Louis area and can work with you to create a financial strategy that reflects your priorities and helps you protect the things that matter to you, like family and giving back. Please call 314-783-4214 to schedule a free consultation with one of Thrivent's Gateway Financial Advisors. All right, we are back. So what what kind of final words do you want to leave with people, like your report? And we we definitely want to make sure we check back in with you. Yeah, oh, we're going to follow yeah. up on this. Yeah. Because yeah. you know people are going to be sitting on the end of their chair. I like, mean, I mean, anybody, <laughs> he, he t- <laughs> you have my number. So anybody that wants to reach out to me, please do. And just let know that Dr. Jason Williams is an American doctor in Cabo. He told me that we're just now starting immunotherapy in this country. And he said they're doing stuff he did 10 years ago and they're not doing it right. So we've asked Dr. Williams or we're going to ask Dr. Williams to come on the podcast and kind of explain. And at that time, you know, we'd like to follow up with you as well. Maybe have both you on to talk about your case. I think that needs to be an episode that we actually record in Cabo. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Sarah wants to go to Cabo to record this one. Uh, The the sound you you all hear is the ocean crashing behind this. But no, he basically told me that he not to worry about this, that he's going to get it. And I mean, he's got 80% of it killed already, so why doubt him? And he said, I'm going to send you home for the holidays. I'm going to hit a double double medicine. I'm going to zap the heck out of it. And then we're going to keep an eye on it. And if it doesn't do the trick, you know, it's not all the way gone, then I'll bring you back down to Mexico City. And he goes, and I'm telling you, I'm not where you worry about this because I'm going to get it. And I believe him. Well, and I... I think something that's really interesting about your story is that really, I think in the end of all this, you probably have saved money if you said that that one hospital is going to cost you a half million dollars. And you have a lot of trust in your doctor. 100%. You don't, and I told and him, I said, Doc. That feels good. I told, I said, Doc, listen, I understand cancer and I understand squamous cell and how aggressive it can be. I said, so I'm going to tell you this. No matter how this turns out, I love you. <laughs> Sorry. You're my man because you give me a chance that I never had and hope that I never had. And he does. He's an amazing man. He's not in it for the money. I can just tell you that. 
I mean, when we talk about the money, I, I think the interesting part is like, you know, we were kind of commenting that people will pay $80,000 for a new truck, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But but people get very worried about paying that kind of money for an unproven method, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of patients are thinking, I don't want to die and leave my family riddled with debt, right? Mm-hmm. And so then they're they're opting not to do that or they're scared because, mm-hmm. you know, they've got so many in the medical community telling them that it's not not going to help. And I, I would be curious to know Dr. Williams' stats in terms of how many of his patients live versus how many pass. Sure. Has he, did, did he share that with you? I didn't, I didn't get into that specific because I had more on my mind than that. But I, what I could tell everyone is this, take control of your own health. My friend of mine, he told me that a long time ago and it stuck with me. It's don't accept, just accept what you're being told there's alternatives out there and there's other options out there you know our options here are radiate poison and and slash and and until oncologists learn how to do immunotherapy there's going to be more people dying because when an oncologist tells you to go do immunotherapy he loses you as a patient and the radiology doctor is the one that he passes you to because they're the ones that know how to do immunotherapy and the oncologists lose their house, their boat, their cars. <laughs> That's, Can't have that. God bless. Ah, there you go. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Alan. Until next time, guys. Bye-bye. See ya. Thank you for being a listener of the Besties with Breasties podcast. If this podcast had a positive impact on your journey, leave us a review or consider becoming a supporter. You can donate with the link in the show notes or at faiththroughfire.org. This episode was hosted by Sarah Hall and Beth Wilmus, audio and production edits by Innovative Frequencies.